like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books, then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast, the podcast brought to you by sciencefictionary.com, where we discuss all things sci-fi, fantasy, superheroes, and action adventure in the world of pop culture. And I'm Daniel, and joining me today are Marisha. Hello. And Andrew. Hello, everybody. And Dave. Hey, everyone. All right. So, uh, how's everybody doing this week? We're good. Uh, yeah, everybody's doing good. Just, uh, you know, hanging out here in our apocalypse shelter. Mm-hmm. Marisha yeah. already made me cut my apocalypse beard and my apocalypse lawn, but <sighs> Alas, but has he bunker. has he done his apocalypse plumbing repairs? He I has have, not. You don't repair oh. things during the apocalypse. You do if What's you're married to point? me. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get out of cutting the grass today by telling my mom that it's the end of the world. I have yeah, I have built a fence. I have organized my shop. I've cleaned out my storage room. I have moved to chest freezer. I have hung pictures. I've gotten to the point where I'm cutting grass twice a week just to have something to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, actually, I'm at the point where when I get asked to cut grass, I'm like, I jump at it. Like, I'm there's no like, ugh, because I'm I'm the same way. Didn't you just say three minutes ago you've been telling your mother that's the end of the world? Who cares? Why should I cut grass? Uh, Yeah, okay. He's not actually sorry to do it, but he still has to complain, you know, to sort of like keep up the the trend. The appearances, that's right. Yes, so that whenever this is all over. Back to normal, she'll still be right. Right, exactly. She won't be like what happened to the nice David who was happy about cutting grass. It'll just be like (laughs) more of the same. Uh huh. Right. Well, that's you, you, you got it. Yes. But, uh, Another thing while we've been on quarantine here lately, that we've been getting a weekly update on what we've all been watching and catching up on while we've been quarantined. So has anybody seen anything new? I know y'all watched Lord of the Rings. We did. I finished Uh, Legion. Finished Legion? Really caught up on Legion? I did. Is season three, season three is good because I didn't watch it yet. I liked it. Um, I told you the end of season two made me mad. Yeah, it hurt my feelings a little bit too, but I kind of... That's the direction I always expected it to take. So it didn't really shock me whenever they went that direction, even though it hurt my feelings. But I enjoyed season three. Um, So I think I may have to actually go back and watch it from the beginning now, though. Just to kind of see it all in context. Okay. No, Legion was a a really good show. And Dan Stevens is very good in that role. So I, I enjoyed that show, but I need to watch season three. Um, but David, what have you been watching other than your assignments for us every week? Other than that, uh, I mentioned it last week, but I'm just watching more and more Dexter. I watched what I've been watching. I've been watching a lot of stuff on the WWE network cause I love wrestling. WrestleMania was recently, but we ain't got to talk about that. What else has been going on? Uh, Arrow. I'm watching a lot of Arrow. I really need to watch some new things, but the new things that I'm watching are my assignments for, okay. for you guys. That makes um, sense. Like yeah, I always that's all new. Yeah. yeah that, that's all the new stuff. But uh, when it comes to my free time, I just, I always fall back into that, uh, that pattern of 
Familiar. Oh, I know what I watched recently that was new. That's right. Well, not new, but again, I watched the Guardians of the Galaxy movies again recently because director James Gunn posted a fun little uh, Twitter watch-along party. And so I actually, um, I didn't stay through it the whole time completely at the date, but I did try. I I watched the movie while Mm -hmm. following James Gunn on Twitter, and he had some excellent little pieces of information that were just so much fun to hear about. Um, Said something about how all those scars on Rocket's back are apparently extremely important to what he has planned for the entire Guardians of the Galaxy. Hmm. Um, and something I thought was cool is that the he, he tweeted this little piece of information out. The only thing Marvel asked me to include was a Thanos cameo and said maybe I could create an origin for the Infinity Stones. Other than that, they were up for whatever. Hmm. So I think that's really cool uh, that they told him to include Thanos. And then for the rest of that, he was able to uh, do whatever he wants, which obviously you can tell he took his own liberties of that movie. And one of my, still one of my favorite Marvel movies. It's so much oh, yeah, fun. It's great. How about you, Daniel? Well, we recently watched Onward. I don't know if y'all have seen Onward yet. No. Uh, uh, the Pixar movie. Mm, that's been, a, a, been made available on Disney plus. Um, that was a good movie. The uh, Pixar has has a streak of I don't know if they've ever made a bad movie, but that one, the third act of that movie especially, is really strong. It starts. It's there's there's some emotional impact to that movie. Hmm. So if you haven't seen it yet, definitely watch that. I don't guess y'all you, know, you just told me y'all haven't seen it yet, huh? We no, we'll, we'll watch it since it's on Disney+. Plus. We just hadn't gotten around to it yet. I think the only thing that new that we've watched here recently, uh, Marisha and I watched the movie Abigail that we talked about a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. the, the independent film, uh, Russian film. Yeah. <clears throat> we you did watch, did watch that. that. We did. Um, it I enjoyed it. It's... Um, it could be better. The concepts are real. It is what it is. It's an independent, low-budget independent film. The effects were great. The mm-hmm. cinematography was beautiful. I think some of the acting, I know that you had commented on the trailer, one of y'all had commented on the trailer about the dialogue seemed a little campy. And I think yeah. it comes across that way because as we watched it, we it dawned on us that the voices had been dubbed over. Oh. That makes sense. Actually. And it was like it sounded like anime dubbing. It was real kind of. You could tell yep, da, 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 it real. was a little overacted. Uh, it made it feel a little bit like mm-hmm. watching a stage play in some ways. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, but it, it was it was clear that the person doing the voiceover didn't capture the necessarily really capture the spirit of what the person was doing when they were. They acting, were just reading you know, lines. Yeah. It's like they didn't have any context for those lines. And so it's one of those things, like, for what it is, I really liked it. But um, I, I, we talked about it a little bit with David before we started recording. And, and one of the things, I think that it, it apparently all the actors appeared to have been Russian. Except for the dad. Except for the dad. And I think that I would have actually preferred it 
in although it looks like the original actors, it looks like they recorded it in English. It, you know, it looks like they're speaking English, mm-hmm. but I, I guess it had a strong accent, and so they dubbed it over. I would have either preferred that, or I would have preferred it in Russian with subtitles. And subtitles it either way would have been better. Yeah, but okay. it was a. Uh, it's a really pretty film. The The people who made it, you know, there's a lot of potential for the, those people to, to go forward and do some other things. I mean, it's definitely a beautiful film. Okay. No, and it, and it did, it looked good. The, the special effects looked really good for mm-hmm. what it was. Yeah. Uh, in the trailer I saw, and I had actually, I had forgotten about it since we talked about it the first time until you just mentioned it again. Mm-hmm. And where, where did you find that at? I where just I rented it online. I rented it on Voodoo. But yeah, right. it was it was interesting. It you know, like I said, the um, the story also again read like it was written in another language and translated it. Yeah. Um. So some of the uh, some of the dialogue just straight up sounds like George Lucas wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> and some of it just it, it seemed like the concepts didn't quite translate but i've also been watching some some porn films so i can you know i just kind of it was like okay well you know you just kind of skate past it and just kind of look at the whole so it was interesting uh i think the kids w- will enjoy it especially but yeah it was it was really pretty speaking it, of foreign movies that reminded me i finally watched parasite how was it uh won the um which of course won the the oscar for best picture uh parasite is freaking excellent it is uh, it it deserves all the hype it was getting it is really hilarious in a horrible way it it says a lot and it, it's a little, so many layers to it and the acting's incredible even though it's completely in another language i, I didn't mind the subtitles we were talking mm-hmm. about that before the show like i don't mind subtitles in these things right whenever because that makes the acting better. Because then, yes. whenever they're able to act in their own language, and you're hearing what they're saying, and you hear like the emotion in their voice or whatever, and and after some time, you start to be able to understand what they're meaning w- without even having to read the subtitles. Because just the acting's that good. Yeah. And I just I thought it was an incredible movie. It deserves all of the hype. So if you haven't seen Parasite, it's actually on Hulu right now. Okay. Um, it is an excellent movie. And one everyone should definitely check out. Awesome. I've also been watching Lego Masters. Oh yeah, the kids have been watching that obsessively. Y'all been watching Lego Masters? The kids have. Oh. So I've been kind of catching it in a little bit. It is so much fun. And yeah. I, I I just watched one episode because I was bored and like I'm obsessed with it. It is so freaking cool. They build the coolest things. And Will Arnett's on it as the host, yeah, right? And Will Arnett is incredible. He's like so funny all the time. Yeah, I and th- it's just a great. It, that that's a lot of fun. It's a fun. It's a it's a very different game show, and it's a, and it's a, it's it's really freaking cool. You guys should definitely check out Lego Masters. Is it just me, or did after Will Arnett did Lego Batman? Like his voice never like went totally back to normal. He just is Lego <laughs> Batman now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that I think he like now you can't hear him. I think I think it is him like just sticking to that that voice. Yeah, I mean and, it's not that far yeah. off his like 
his real voice, but I mean, like every time I hear him talk now, it's like, oh, it's Lego Batman. Yeah. Right. In a good way, though. Oh, yeah. In a good yeah. way, I think. Or Joe. Um, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, I love Joe. You can never uh, hear the final countdown the same way. Yeah. <laughs> He's changed final countdown for us and Batman. Yeah. Yeah. We've also been watching a lot of Critical Role on YouTube. Yep. Oh, yeah. Iana's low key obsessed. But uh, another thing I wanted to talk about uh, before we get into our other weekly stuff with X-Files and, and Star Trek, the uh, Witcher 2, and I've been wanting to talk about this for months, actually, we just never can't get to it. There was a lot of good Witcher news coming out before they delayed production. They had actually started production for season two in February and then, of course, had to right. suspend production in March. But there was a lot of casting news I was excited about. And I don't know how many of you actually saw that. Of course, our original cast is going to be back. You you still get Henry Cavill coming back as Geralt. Anya Shalatra will is back as Jennifer. Freya Allen, of course, uh, coming back. Uh, Joey Beatty coming back. Our, our four main characters from season one. But in season two, and some stuff I know David actually was also excited about is the cast for the additional three witchers, Cohen, Lambert, and Eskel, mm-hmm. who I know you see in the video games, um, mm-hmm. being at Caremorn. And of course, I'm yeah. very excited to see Caremorn. So that's good news knowing those characters have been cast. That's where we'll see them. That means we're going to see this location, which I, I am really anxious so. to see in live action how they do it. I want to see the Witcher obstacle course. Mm-hmm. How they design that, how they pull it off. That'd be awesome. You know, yeah, I, I do hope we get to see... David, help me. How am I forgetting the girl's freaking name? The girl? What, what girl? Siri? Yes. I want to see Siri trains or Witcher. They're oh, really yeah. playing up. They, they kind of played with the idea of her having her abilities in season one. Those don't get played up in the books. Or even no, 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 no. I don't. I'm not sure how much they don't get played up in the video game either. Uh, but Only they in the third one the... and sparingly. Um, yeah, she's more. She uses them as an add-on to her abilities as a witcher. Okay. Right, the banshee ability we're talking about, right? Right. Yeah, uh, the banshee yeah. ability. Just all of her, all of her stuff. Her banshee, her, her teleporting, and and it all it comes into play pretty heavily when you start dealing with things like the wild hunt which who knows yes. when we'll get that. Um, right. But, right, it's never... The, the, the cooler well, parts about well, Siri are, are as a Witcher and using yes. these abilities as a little bonus. Witcher and the traditional magic she gets trained in, and we're, we're kind of going to give stuff away. People haven't read the books or played the games, but she, she ends up being a very well-rounded character from a combat standpoint. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to see her go through the obstacle course. I want to see her training as a witcher. You know, that's, that's, those are the kind of things I'm going to be excited about. Um, but that was, uh, yes. in our tour, Paul Bullion and through Erstead Rasmussen, who are none of those actors I'm familiar with, but they will be our witchers, Cohen Lambert and Eskel. Um, and Kim Bodnia or Bodnia. I'm sorry. Kim Bodnia is going to be Vesemir who is the oldest and most experienced Witcher, um, really is kind of a father figure to the in, to the entire group of Witchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and an interesting side note, 
Mark Hamill was rumored for this role for a long time. But it um, seems like every ever ever since we've seen Mark Hamill with a grizzled gray beard playing a grumpy old man, he gets rumored for every role like that. I don't know if y'all saw him in the last season of Nightfall. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what he was. Right. right? Well, and I think I really think that role is why people were fan casting him as uh, Vesemir. As Vesemir. Yeah. And and I do, too. But I even think that role came from the way he looked in Last Jedi. Somebody doing Nightfall went, ooh. Mm -hmm. That's (laughs) exactly the way I picture this character that we're writing right now. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I make that connection as well. So I'm excited about that. I want to see the other Witchers. But actually, this is just the book fan in me coming out. Why I got excited about this. When they cast Christopher Hivju from Game of Thrones, he was Tormund Giants Bane. Everybody loved Tormund, fan favorite. When they cast him as Novellan, nobody else I know talking right now probably knows who Novellan is. So many of the Witcher short stories were actually twist on traditional fairy tales. The first episode of Witcher we got was based on the first Witcher short story. And it was a twist on Snow White. Um, I don't know if anybody caught that, but did you not notice that her henchmen, there were seven of them. Hmm. Um, The Hmm. idea that her stepmother sent her in the woods to be killed and she survived it. It was a twist on Snow White. Okay. Well, the character in the villain, his story is a twist on Beauty and the Beast. And I love this story. So I was very excited to hear that, to know that we are still going to get those tidbits. I am going to be curious to see if they weave, if they did kind of they did in season one, and we have all the stuff that happened in the past, and we get to see, and we mm-hmm. saw it separately from the stuff that's going on in the, in the present. Right. That's where the that's where the one that's where the episodes that were based on those short stories came into play. Okay. Was all that happened in the past. So and chronologically, that is true. All the adventures and short stories came first, came before he met Siri. Right. So I'm curious if we're still gonna play with that idea or if they're gonna weave this story into the narrative going forward. I can't decide which one I'd prefer, honestly. Like, I don't, I think part of me really wants it all to be like one straightforward, cohesive story after that season one thing. But then also, like, I think I'd really enjoy just seeing, just having the, I would really enjoy them having the ability to just show us these short stories, whether or not, just, just as a flashback without having to necessarily, I mean, I'm sure it'll matter and mean something, but to not have to worry too much about what's going on in the big story and the main story, the present day and show us what all these other fun short stories that are some of the best parts of the Witcher books. Yeah. Right. And they did it in a way in season one, they did it in a way where they took those adventures that weren't originally tied into series story and they did sort of tie it in. They did it in a way that gave you background. What led to the moment where Geralt decided, I'm going to accept this destiny. Right. Mm-hmm. It was all build up for him. Mm-hmm. I keep going back to that first episode, but they did it straight from the start. He took her brooch and put it on his sword as a reminder to stay out of the affairs mm-hmm. of other people. 
to not get involved with normal humans that deeply. So, so then we kind of understood his mindset of wanting to distance himself from this and having to come full circle to doing what was right. Right. And they did that through the whole season. And I love the way they did it. It worked wonderfully. Uh, yeah, I'm just curious. Like I said, if knowing that we're going to see Novellan, like I said, are we going to continue that style of narrative or are we going to just start weaving these stories into the main plot? And I know David gave his thoughts on that. Do, do y'all have any thoughts on that? I mean, so many shows, like the whole first season is sort of like build up to kind of a payoff. Um, and for this show, the payoff was like, oh, and we've been telling, you know, stories in, in numerous timelines. Um, and a lot of shows sort of like once they get that and then it's like then the whole tone changes in some ways because you're you're telling the story in a different way. And it, it doesn't seem like it should change the way it it presents, but it, it does. So I kind of hope that they continue with kind of working towards, you know, kind of something, a, some kind of specific point. Does that make sense? It, it, yeah. it does make sense, yeah. And, and I do hope it's more, uh, just a little bit less confusing. I, I you know, and this is, give us a map, please. You know, that's not doesn't necessarily relate to the story, but like yeah. when we're talking about it, being cohesive and, and going on, please show us a map. Is there a map? I, I should probably just Google if there's a map. We really need a map of this freaking country. Yeah. So I'm still confused about it. Yeah. But I see, I, I know exactly what you're trying to not say. That like, confusing. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I just think it a little kind of, it's probably not. It's, it's confusing not enough. Than a map. <laughs> it would be less it's confusing like, if they were a map. If they were a map. <laughs> I'm going to Google if there's a map. Sounds like a good thing to do. I'll do it later. But anyway, know that, like I said, that casting news for The Witcher actually really had me excited. It kind of gives you a clue of what we'll see in season two. And we kind of already knew. I was surprised by the casting of Novella, and I think they hired a great actor to portray that character. Um, and that was the one that really stood out to me. We kind of we kind of figured we were going to care more, and so you expected Vesemir and the other three witchers to be cast. Um, but I just wanted to touch on that for a minute. Like I said, that came out months ago and I won't talk about it ever since. And yeah. we always record like two hours worth of stuff. Right. So we never get to it, but that gummit, I was going to mention <laughs> the witcher come hell or high water tonight. <laughs> Before we got going on all the other stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because that's the show that that's one of the shows I want season two for so bad and, you know, the things the world's going through right now have delayed that amongst other things we really wanted to see. At yeah, least like with paychecks. <laughs> yeah, and paychecks. Yes. God, it's hurting paychecks. O on the list of things we really wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and pay the paycheck might be at the top of the list. <laughs> um, Even more than season two of The Witcher? I guess. I guess. <laughs> it depends on, on the day, huh? But no, I, I am still, like I said, excited for that show and curious to see how they go with it. Um, but uh, moving on from there, we've been uh, decided to do a weekly review of the X-Files. And 
last week we did episodes one and two and guys, we promise we're not going to review every single episode <laughs> of this series. In order. No, it we're not take forever. We will probably not have this podcast. That long. <laughs> well, when I, when I looked at the, when I decided to do those uh, specifically episode three and five, I looked at it cause I wanted to kind of, you know, we talked about skipping around, but I, I wanted, we did the mm-hmm. kind of the pilot in the introduction to Mulder's story with the first two. And, mm-hmm. and then I was like, well, I think now we should do, you know, kind of monsters of the week or creature of the week episodes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, episode three and five are two of the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we just, I just figured we'd go ahead and do those. And then I think David also watched, Episode four, and too. Marisha did as well. Yeah. Watched episode four. And I which... also, I also rewatched four, and four okay. also was important. We oh, need yeah. to do it at some point because that was the first episode where you really get the uh-huh. impact of what happened to Mulder as a as a kid. Yep. The impact that's had on his life, man. And the impact it has on what he does and what he's doing now. Can we talk about how good the writing is on that episode, y'all? It's it's wonderful. Man. It, it is absolutely wonderful. Like at the end of the episode, you know, whenever he's listening back to, or she's listening back to the tape of the the recording, you know, and he's sitting in that church with the stained glass behind him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, he told me not to be afraid that she wasn't going to be hurt and that she would, she would be back. And he says to you, well, do you believe that? He says, I want to believe. And I was just like, mm-hmm. Man, hard to catch phrase. Oh wow! Like it was just—it was really, really well written. And those four words have more meaning than the casual X Files fan knows because yeah. of yeah. that moment. Right. It's like when it's like I saw that and I was like, oh, you know, cause that little line just been blipping at the, on on our screen, you know, before mm-hmm. every episode starts. Yep. Wow, I was just, I was a little, a little floored. And yeah. I, and I love the entire rest of the episode too, that they drew this parallel between what was happening to this family in present day mm-hmm. and used that as a, as a device to tell you more of Boulder's story. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was beautifully done. And I especially really like the end, end of it where you had the innocence of the little brother Mm-hmm. Telling his sister, you can trust him. Tell him what happened. Be completely honest. But then you have the wisdom of the mother, mm-hmm. who's got a lifetime of experience of being ridiculed for telling the truth about what happened to her, right. not wanting her own daughter to go through it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love that episode. Yeah. So again, we don't want to do every episode, but you couldn't miss these three. No. You couldn't skip three and five for the reasons Andrew said. And you couldn't skip four. Because if you're going to really get into the larger mythology of the show, if you're it has really going to understand, like you, you know, we knew that his sister had disappeared, but this is the first time we actually saw him address it, saw anybody confront him with, like, you know, she's not your sister, right? Kind of, you know, thing. Right. I, I think what uh, one of the best lines is um, when Mulder's going back to talk to the kid and. And Scully's like, at the, Scully says, um, stop chasing yeah. after your sister or something like yeah. that. Exactly. Because that's what he was doing. You know, that's what he was doing. My dog's barking. I'm sorry. No, okay. um, but, uh, yeah, you guys, you guys all said like the, the writing 
in this in that episode was excellent. I'm I've lo- I've loved every episode so far. I really have. Um, and I even said before when we were like, oh, what episodes did we watch? And our assignment from Andrew was only three and five. But I was like, oh, I watched four anyway, just because I'm liking the show that much. Yeah, and I want to watch three. Yeah, if you're going to watch three and five, you feel weird skipping four. Right. Right. And even if you were going to watch episode five and episode forty-five, you wouldn't worry about watching the other forty so much. Right. Yeah. And so, and 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 I I read the description and realized. Okay, this is impo- important to to Mulder and and I, I you know I've um I've I'm addicted to like internet list videos like every other person on the internet and uh, I always watch like top ten TV protagonists of all time and mm-hmm. and Fox Mulder's always up there yep. and mm-hmm. now I totally understand why I. I love, and I I forget which epi- which of these three episodes Scully Scully says it, but someone's like, "Whose side are you on?" And Scully goes, "The victims." And then I started thinking, "Well, whose side is Mulder on?" And M- Mulder truly is on the side of the truth. It's yeah. all yeah. about finding the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, excellent it, writing. Yeah, uh, another moment in episode four, like. We touch on episode one about how great a profiler he was and how great an investigator he was. Mm-hmm. And his success rate actually gave him the leeway to be able to work in X-Files. Right. Even though the FBI is kind of leery of it and they sort of want to. And part of that really is we're taking one of our best agents out of the field to work on this bullshit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. But you actually get to see part of. What a good traditional FBI agent he can be when he puts uh, the girl in the trap about having killed Greg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it was that a great was interrogation crazy. moment. Like he really does. He's a good traditional FBI agent when he needs to be too. Mm-hmm. And you know, like David was saying, he's on the side of the truth, but in all ways, you know, he does, he is a good person. He's not just in it for himself. He is on the side of the truth. He does want to help people. And he's a good agent. You, you get to see why the FBI doesn't really want him working on this crap. For one right. thing, the thing is a waste of time. For another, you've got a deeper uh, government conspiracy going on. You'll find out later. I know David hasn't seen. There's only five episodes of the show he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of crap going on. Yeah, I got already tell. contingencies that want him working on the X Files because they can kind of use him, and they kind of can take what he'll uncover and use it for their benefit. And you get a group that doesn't want him working on at all because of the crap he'll uncover, and you get just the traditional FBI stuck in the middle, going, "Our one of our best agents is wasting his time on his crap." Right. So yeah. there's a lot going on in this show, and you get to see, you start to get to see some of that as we're getting into these you know episodes three four and five i can already tell there's a lot going on and they're getting stonewalled a lot and it sucks to watch like mm-hmm. all it's so frustrating but in a good way where they get closer and closer to this they're they're they're, they're finally figuring stuff out and then there's just some you know jerk in a suit who just shows up and smirks like a just want to rip his face off and mm-hmm. and he's like 
yeah, I think you should uh, stop obstructing justice. What does that mean? Oh, it's so frustrating. But it's obviously just, you know, they're afraid of, of Mulder. The truth is, like, they know that Mulder's the only threat that's probably the only threat they have. Mm. And, and you're right. Like, there's obviously something going on here way more. And every time Mulder gets close, they punch him in the face and it, and it sucks. And we saw a lot of that in episode two. We see more and more of that every episode. And I think it's a great thing where you look at there are some characters who, you know, I was thinking about like, whose side is everybody on. And there are some characters who are in it for themselves. They're, yeah. they're doing the politics. They don't care about who actually committed a murder or whatever. They just want to move up the ladder. You have some that are on the side of, like, government security. And, and that's their only concern. Right. right. Um, and then you have people like... Mulder and Scully. I love Scully mm-hmm. so much because the one thing she's so consistent in, no matter how crazy her reports sound, she's going to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And she always puts them there. She's like, I can't. This this is what I saw. This is what Mulder says he saw. This is what happened. And, and that's, yeah, that's that. Mm-hmm. That's that. Right. Do with that what you will. And that's just great, but uh, maybe we should talk about the episodes and like more. Uh, <laughs> more four, well, yeah, three, four, we're gonna five. we're gonna start we're gonna start Marisha's favorite episode. Yeah, <laughs> squeeze. Three. Episode three, <laughs> squeeze. Well, first time with... we get to see Edmund Victor or, Tombs. The uh, first Eugene time. Eugene Victor Tombs. Eugene Eugene, Eugene, Eugene Victor Tombs is. Tombs. Yeah, Eugene Victor Tombs was one of the only kind of creature of the week, monster of the week, however you want to say that. There are only, I believe, three recurring monster of the week characters in all of the X-Files, and he's one of them. And he has three wow. episodes. And we, yeah, and we needed three. There's, he has three total episodes. Um, this episode, just to give y'all a little background, if you weren't aware of, of who wrote this, this was written by Glenn Morgan, who did the Destination Truth franchise. He did Willard for New Line Cinema, uh, and then later did Space Above and Beyond, um, along with James Wong, who also wrote on oh, wow. this, who wrote Millennium, wrote for American Horror Story, um, and has written a number of other things. So, I mean, these are written by two people with a strong background in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed James Wong's name popping up there, and was like, "Whoa, yeah. that's really cool." But uh, Marisha, did you watch episode three again? She has seen it before, but I no, have seen she it before. It. I I just I can't, y'all. I just can't. I don't what like it. Was it? Huh? What is it about episode three that you can't watch? It's I don't understand. Creepy. My Daniel, my mother, as you may remember, is maybe the biggest X Files fan I know. Mm-hmm. And will run out of the room at the men- at the mention of Victor Tombs. <laughs> now I love this character and this actor is so good. And people who don't remember, he was the jerky little snivelly guard in the Green Mile. Yeah, and he's a fantastic character actor. And I love. I mean, there's a lot of fantastic. Yeah, you had Doug Hutchison who played Victor Toombs. You had Donal Logue in this episode, and um, I mean, you had some really good characters in here. 
uh, actors. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is that this character was such a hit. That, like I said, he's I believe the only Monster of the Week character that came back for three episodes. Uh, and one of only, I think, three that came back for multiple episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, That's really cool. And that was the moment when you realized that this wasn't going to just be an E.T. show. This wasn't going to just be about right. aliens. No, yeah. we were listening to get into some weird shit. <laughs> yeah, that was some, yeah. Um, I was, I was, now I, I get it. I was, why well, I remember didn't watch this. I was grossed out by a lot of things in this episode. <laughs> um, the nest of human bile, I was not necessarily a fan of. <laughs> um, but it was at the time, and now I think my favorite episode is probably episode five, but this was my favorite episode like, out of the first three. Right. Um, I, I just love already. I love Fox Mulder. I, I, and, and, and Scully, I love them both. I love them together. I love Scully's loyalty to mm -hmm. him. Even whenever that, that guy that like from her school is like questioning it. And, but, but she's loyal to him cause she's loyal to the truth and he knows that he's going to get it. Um, I noticed a lot that well, something that really stood out to me in this episode is, is all of the evidence that Mulder had gathered on it, but people just don't want to see the truth, even though it's like it was so far fetched. It was so far fetched, but how can you ignore these things? No, but I'm not complaining. I'm saying it's a good thing because it is so far fetched. But I think that, but I think that's a point. That's the point is that. I think it's something the show is trying to say is that these people are just are so stuck in, at least in this world. I mean, obviously in the real world, that would be the same way, right? But they're so stuck logical in thinking and logical thinking, and there's no way that's possible that they ignore. And this is a common thing that I've seen in these all the five of these episodes. They ignore things that cannot be explained. They just they just don't look at it. They don't pay yeah. attention to it. They don't put it in their report. Yeah, because they're afraid of the truth, or they just literally cannot see it. So that's why you have to have a guy like Fox Mulder to come in, and and and, and see these things. And I just I love that that theme of the show of of being afraid of the truth and just not being able to believe it, despite the evidence in front of you, because if it's so far fetched. But um, when he when he elongated the fingerprint, you're sitting there thinking, why didn't you show that to everybody else? Probably because you're right, and that actually is kind of frustrating to me. But it's because anytime he shows anybody anything to anybody else, they're he already knows mm -hmm. they're not going to care at all, and it's not even worth his time showing it to those guys because they're not concerned with what actually happened. They're concerned with getting their promotions. And Fox wants to know what happened. Also, I think he just has a real morbid curiosity, of course, that keeps him mm -hmm. drawn to it. And yeah, this was a really fun episode. Um, really, really creepy. Um, I love a good mystery. And I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting episode. It, I have a note here that I'm, I'm looking at. Um, I know they had a lot of issues. I had heard that before that they had a lot of issues with the directing 
on this episode and that both the writers and the actors felt that post-production saved the episode. Mm, but um, the, they, the director really wanted Fox to be more angry about this character, about this serial killer. And, and Duchovny said, the director wanted me to be mad about this horrible serial killer. And I was like, no, this is an amazing discovery. He's not morally culpable because he's genetically, he's genetically driven. That's really interesting. I, I'm really happy that I heard that. That, that. that makes me really think about the character. And, and that's true, right? Like, he wouldn't get angry because he's just fascinated with it. And he thinks it's an amazing discovery. And... It's like it'd be the same thing as getting angry at discovering like a new species. Right. Like, you can't get angry at that and he just wants to know the truth and that's that's really cool. Yeah, well he was pretty pissed off when he came after Scully though, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Which I which I liked. I thought that was really yeah. awesome. I love their relationship and how it's growing. But no, I, I like I said, I love tombs. I wanted more of tombs. And Marisha, like it or not, we're gonna review the other <laughs> tombs episodes. Because you've got to close out that arc. That character's too interesting. It's too fascinating. Yeah. They left it on a cliffhanger. Right. Just him staring at that hole, that potential hole in the wall that he could get through. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there going, these morons. <laughs> right, yeah. Like you really they put are the handcuffs on him, I'm like, dude. Yeah. A lot of the episodes are doing that. They're ending on like those. And you mentioned this to me. A lot of episodes are going to end that just when you think you've got it figured out. Just when you yep. think it's done. Mm-hmm. Then they, they throw something in they there. That little end. tidbit at the end of it. Yep. That yeah. story is not really over. Episode five kind of did that as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. episode five is one uh, Jersey Devil is one of my favorite episodes. Dave, you said it's now your favorite episode so far. The first five you've watched. It will continue to be in your top ten throughout this series. It's a fantastic episode. And it's another one where we literally just see Mulder driven by his curiosity. Does he want to stop these killings? Yes, he does. Did he want to stop Tombs? Yeah, he did. Was he fascinated by the discovery of a man with such a genetic mutation? Mm -hmm. Yes. In episode five, is he fascinated by the discovery of a, of a, of human beings, um, reverted back to an earlier stage of evolution? Yes, fascinating. Mm-hmm. He still wants them stopped. You will notice he did not want them killed. Right. Yeah. That's when because he was angry. Yeah. That's where he got mad was them wanting to kill the mm-hmm. Jersey Devils. Yep. That's what we're going to call them. That's the name of the episode. That's what it was. And this is where the show really gets me is whenever it explores things from a, an urban legend. The Jersey Devil has been an urban legend for over 100 years. People mm-hmm. think there's some kind of creature roaming around New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Then the Jersey Devil's a real thing. It's where the Jersey Devil hockey team got their nickname. Um, and we get to see Mulder. You know, he doesn't want to exterminate this what's almost like another species. Mm-hmm. Does he want human beings to continue to be killed by them? No, he doesn't. They need to be stopped, but should we exterminate what might be you know, some kind of evolutionary step, even if it's a de-evolutionary step? Mm-hmm. And he's fascinated by it. When they're in the warehouse or the abandoned factory, whatever it was, trying to capture what they think is the last of them, Scully and 
Mulder have sort of a philosophical conversation about have we really evolved this far past them? And Scully says, we've created computers that thinks faster than the human mind. Right. We, you know, created all this vast technology. And Mulder's like, we're just really smart beast. You know, mm-hmm. it, we still, we still go to war with each other. We still create new ways to kill each other. Right. You know, so it's, it's a really, and you don't, the episode doesn't hit you over the head with that, but all it really takes and what the writers on X-Files are really good at is giving you just those little two or three minutes worth of exposition just to make you think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just to just to kind of explore the idea. I love this. I love this episode. Um, I loved the ending with the the kids peeking out. I mm-hmm. love that there kind of was, and, and I, I mentioned this last time we talked about it. I was hoping it'd be like this. There was kind of a logical explanation to what was going on. Yeah. There yeah. wasn't anything. There were aliens, you know, and um, they got the autop the uh, autopsy, and they. There was nothing really crazy going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the kind of thing that's happened before in real life. There are real life cases of people growing up in the woods and, and being away from society and how they develop that way. And, but there's still some questions there that make you think, like, what's really going Like, maybe there is a little something more to it. But mm-hmm. overall, what, does this even qualify as an X-File when you think about it in the end, at the end? Not, that's not a bad thing at all, but it's like there was a logical explanation, and I think it puts I think it's good for Mulder and Scully's relationship for there to be a logical explanation every once in a while, right? For what's going on, right? Right, and like I told you, even when there is a logical explanation, it's gonna be weird. Yeah, yeah. but it's- <laughs> so that's kind of what happens in this one, and you do sort of get like you said it being good for, and I hadn't thought of it that way, it being good for Mulder and Scully's relationship. That, yeah, there's a scientific reasoning to it that even Scully, Scully buys into this one. Scully takes Mulder to meet, you know, this professor, uh, professor of hers that's kind of, you know, has information about it. He has knowledge about it. Mm-hmm. And they help each other along. Scully buys into this one 100%. And she's good with it. And it still is paranormal enough that, you know, it's it's still something that, for most people, Mulder would have to make them believe it. You know, right. it's still kind of far-fetched, but it's logical enough. It makes enough sense that he never has to try to convince Scully that this is what's really going on, like he does in some of the other episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to have those debates about whether or not she thinks one thing and he thinks another. They're both on the same page in this one. Yeah. yeah. But this is one of the episodes, and I think the reason that it stays on so many people's list. Uh, the philosophical implications of, you know, Mulder's position is basically like, they're not the bad guys. They're not evil. Like you, maybe the people who are killing them are like for them, this is about survival Mm -hmm. and, you know, but you're willing to just kill them just without asking questions. For the same reason you'd put down a rabid dog. Yeah. He wasn't very likable. He was not. Well, and also, I feel like there's d- deeper into that. That I think that plays yeah. into the theme of people being afraid mm-hmm. of asking the questions, yep. of finding the truth. It's much easier to put a bullet in it than to ask it where it came from. Right. 
Right. And well, but here's the other thing, though. If we're going to, to stay alone, and this is where the philosophical debate comes in, if we are talking about that they're on a lower evolutionary scale, that they're human beings who have in a way have maybe de-evolved in, in some way, do you still consider them human? The rabid dog, the rabid dog analogy, you would have to put down a rabid dog, and nobody would even question it. Right? Right. But then the question is, this is where the philosophical debate happens. Mm -hmm. And it's what makes this one of the best episodes, which we've already mentioned. Mm -hmm. So where do you lie morally? I mean, they have killed people. The park ranger talks about it's, it's cannibals. They, they've killed, there are human bones left in that woman's body during the, after the autopsy. Mm -hmm. Um, you're right. So it's do, you, and that's the question because you know we don't just and and, and we even don't kill everybody me. who kills somebody. But we do have the death penalty. This is where I'm right. going with it. This is where I'm going with it. it even without the de, de evolutionary side of it, you still consider them human. We do sentence human beings to the death penalty for heinous crimes, for being a danger to society. What's better for the greater good? To exterminate the one to save 20? Or right. is all life, human or not, or where, do you, where do you draw that line? You would put down the rabid dog because the human life's more important to prevent the spread of rabies, to prevent, you know, it, it actually makes sense. And this is, this is, that's what that episode did was make you think about it. It's making us have this debate right now. Mm -hmm. Well, but you know, the, it's, it's that question that kind of sci-fi is very good about asking is who deserves the dignity of being human? Who, who should we you know the, the inherent dignity that, that most of us agree people are entitled to, the question is, well, what if someone's a little different? You know, what if, you know, what if they're biologically different? What if, you know, and, and so that's always the, the mm -hmm. debate I think that, that good sci-fi sort of brings up is like, okay, so what if they're not playing by the rules? What if, what if they're different? What if they're, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a important questions. Um, right. And, and, you know, like what you were saying about how, like, oh, we have the death penalty for people in the real world. Yeah, but you're, you're not allowed to use the death penalty on the mentally ill. Right. So, you know, people plead insanity. And so where do you put them? Are these people, is it sort of in the same way where they're not, they, they can't help what they are? Mm -hmm. Can killers not help what they are? What, you know, it's, it's all these different questions which is the best part of it. I'm sure we're going to have plenty of debates like this watching the show so much. Well, we get a little too far into where you actually hold human beings accountable. The more the question was, would you still consider what was going on with those beings? Would you consider them human? And even if they were in a life or death situation to defend someone else, would you still put them down? Right. Now, so now, granted, we still have places in the world where new tribes are still being discovered. 
So there are countries that are finding some of these tribes are not, they're, ho they're hostile. So, you know, it kind of opens up that question. It, it's similar to having a country and within your country, you suddenly discover that there's this new, this, there's this, this group of people who have been living there. They're, they've not evolved or they've de-evolved one and they've not moved alongside modern society. They're not part of modern society. How do you address it? Yeah. Oh, that that's a very real thing. And so the usual answer is just to leave them alone at this point, I think. But you can't leave these guys alone because they're in the woods. Right and, outside and Atlantic City. Right. They're actually right. moving into the city. Yeah. yeah. And, so but then he brings up, like, she's just trying to help her young. She's just trying to find food for them. Just trying to survive. A great episode. Like I said, David, that one is going to be, that's going to continue to be in your top ten. I promise you, there are not nine episodes of this show better than that one. Um, another one I love is, and I always come when I think the X Files, the first episode that pops into my mind is, and I don't remember the real, the actual name of the episode. Andrew might whenever I say it, but the Fountain of Youth episode. Oh, when, when they, they go, yeah. The I don't remember the name of the episode, but I'm gonna find um, out real quick. Yeah, that's another one that brings Detour. up the same. Yeah, the kind name of that episode of, is, is Detour. That's the same kind of what would happen if sort of episodes that I love so much. Um, and Andrew, do you know yet which Andrew, sort of our resident X Files expert, kind of kind of uh, decide which episodes we're going to review next? Do you know? Do you know which ones you want to talk about? I need next? to kind of look. I'll look at it when we get done tonight and and send y'all some stuff. Well, then something else we have need to talk about, and I was <clears throat> actually behind on finishing the show, was Picard. I'm pretty sure at this point we've all finished Picard, right? We have, yeah. Yeah, we finished it. Yeah. David? Oh, no, I haven't, I haven't watched Picard. You haven't watched Picard because somebody's been on my CBS All Access account skipping around the episodes because every time I would turn on the next episode of Picard, <laughs> it'd be on one I'd already watched. Oh, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched Picard. you? No. Okay, well. Uh-oh. Mm. Uh-oh. No, I haven't watched it because I just, you know, I, I well, figure I'm going to know what's really going on. We're, so. we're going to talk about it, and we're going to get pretty in-depth. Um, mm -hmm. I don't care about spoilers. dropped a while ago. This will not be spoiler-free. We're fixing it into Picard, really, for the first time. Now that myself, Andrew, Marisha have all finished the series. Yes. Um. So... Overall, I will say I liked it. Okay. We were curious um, where you were going to come out. Yeah. Well, it it sort of, the first two episodes was a lot of setup. It took us two episodes to even get off Earth, which is weird for a Star Trek show. I had some issues early on with some of the things that were going on with some of the characterization and some of the questions I had. And I will tell you, as the series went on, some of the questions I had sort of got explained. Like, now I can put that out in my mind, and it starts to make sense. About episode seven, I really started to get into it. Mm -hmm. I had an issue early on with Romulans want to stop all synthetic life, even though in the next generation we established the fact that Romulans were studying synthetic life forms. You had a, you know, a Romulan centurion or commander, I'm sorry, Romulan, Romulan commander actually telling Data there was a whole team of people back on Romulus who would love to meet him. Right. Like, 
knew that you know they were a scientifically advanced race. The Romulan Warbird is one of the most advanced starships ever created. They are. It, it was seemed kind of preposterous to me for them to, you know, want to annihilate synthetic life. Well, we find out later that what really was going on was you had this certain sect of Rama society who had found this warning on this planet about what had happened to their race when they invented synthetic life forms. And so now I can play with the idea and live with the idea that that particular group of Romulans had always been working towards that, but had only recently come become prominent enough to make it a more visible, more active thing. Right. Well, and after Romulus was now destroyed, with that. and right. the vast majority of Romulans, well, now all of a sudden, what was once a fringe group, if most of them managed to survive, now there's you know a lot more of them. Correct. Now I can live with that idea. Mm-hmm. Now I'm okay with that. Still have a problem with Rafi calling Admiral Picard JL while she was still in Starfleet. That bugs the crap out of me, and I'll never get over it. And maybe I'm nitpicking. It's a small thing. I understand why they probably did it, because he they wanted them to be to have that kind of relationship, and they wanted to establish the fact that kind of relationship. But a commander in Starfleet does not call one of the most highly decorated admirals in the service by a stupid nickname that no one else in the entire history of Star Trek has ever called him JL. Right. Yeah, I thought that was a little weird. Me, I don't think it bothered me quite as bad as it did you, but it was weird. Drives me nuts. <laughs> when we got to see Riker and Deanna, they're on a first-name basis, perfectly cool with it. Mm-hmm. Known Picard for 35 years. Riker and Picard have saved each other's lives often enough. He's earned that right. 35 years later, and we're both retired. He can call him by his first name. Mm-hmm. Perfectly fine with that. Um, and my favorite moment of the show is actually Captain Riker, <laughs> Jonathan Frakes, being. 100% full-on Will Riker oh, yeah. on the, that starship for about five minutes yeah. is my favorite moment in the show. <laughs> I love that. The only other issue I think I have as far as just having it make sense and staying true to the rules of the world you've set up, an android's not going to perform a Vulcan mind meld. I'm not Isn't not okay there some kind of precedent for that? I think that there is. Spock did it to V'ger, but it was Spock performing the mind meld. It was initiated by a biological being with a latent psychic ability in his species. It's a biological function of that race of being. It's You don't, and you know what? We could have come up with some techno-bible which is a, actually a Star Trek term, okay? <laughs> uh, Techno babble. LeVar Burton will tell you 
in the script for Star Trek Initiation would be the word technobabble, and he knew he just had to make shit up at that point. <laughs> we could have done something like that. We could have come up with any kind of gobbledygook to be we programmed the abilities, psychic abilities into her. I wouldn't have bought that either. But the fact that the idea that the android taught herself how to do a Vulcan mind meld is just dumb. And I've always said one of the best things about science fiction is you can basically do what you want because it's all, you know, there there is no basis for anything in science fiction in the real world if you don't want it to be. Mm-hmm. But once you establish the rules of the world you're working in, you got to follow the rules. Right. So I'm not okay with that one. I'm actually okay with the Picard mind transfer into the new body at the end. Uh-huh. We have precedent for that, actually. And it's not far-fetched that in the world we've created, with the advancements in the world we've created, it's not far-fetched that they could do it. Well, no, in that one, on the technological side, they, they did the setup on that one. Exactly. They established... They it right. They did the setup on it exactly what you said. I'm fine with it. It fits into Star Trek. It's absolutely something that makes sense that a Star Trek show would do. I'm cool with it. The Android before the mind meld, I don't like Rafi calling him JL. I don't like. Other than that, I don't have a lot of problems with the show. What did you I think about the like, scene in the last episode with Data? Like it? I do actually. Um, uh, I get it. I will say this, though. If they can, the only question I had was, if they can transfer what is essentially Data's mind into the computer and they can put Picard's mind into an android, why couldn't they put Data's algorithms into a new body as well? They could have. But that's the whole thing. That's not what Data wanted. And I think they, he, they, they made it pretty clear. He's like, he wanted... He wanted out. No, and I did catch that part. He wanted to, he wanted to live whatever span of life he might have left, and for an android, a nanosecond's an eternity. Knowing that his life would end, yeah, that that was his that was his last step to becoming. His strive was always to be more human, and that's actually what I was going to say when I said I liked it, yeah. because that makes sense for data. Yeah. That, is quintessential. That is the most data thing data has ever done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the thing with data was it was only like, it was only one tiny piece of his mind that was salvaged, right? Yeah. And he did actually even try to imprint his engrams into, um, <sighs> never mind. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And they actually had that Android's body broken down back at the Dacia Institute. We saw that in the first episode of, this one was that B four, B four. I think it is B four. Which actually makes sense. Before, yeah, right. okay. Because he was the most primitive form of Doctor Soong's work. So, no, I love that moment for Data. That was a perfect send off for Data. It makes sense for Data as a character. That sort of brings Data's journey full circle. And David hasn't watched any of the Next Generation or the Next Generation movies. But we see Data's journey to becoming more human throughout all the next generation 
source material. And it's, it's a little bit of a step at a time. He tries to learn humor. He begins to learn how to interact with people. He eventually does get an emotion chip, which he struggles with. Yeah. A very, well, we're very not- human thing to struggle with your emotions. Those were, you know, really well done moments in that series as well. And now just to evolve to the point to be able to die, which was always data goal to be as human as possible. Uh, Andrew, I know we were talking about the show a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, pretty early on in the show, actually, where you said you had some character issues. and uh, You mentioned seven of nine specifically. So I need you to, to I mean, talk about. So I just, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm okay with the character. I just feel like she's a little different than she was in some ways. I, I don't, but like I said, I don't have a problem with what they ended up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that has been one of the big hangups for a lot of people have been that they really had a big problem with the way that character was handled. And she's been through a lot since we saw her last though. I, yeah. I don't, I actually think, that from where we left her in Voyager <clears throat> to where we see her now, if you fill in the gap between those time periods, I can absolutely see her character evolving the way they portrayed her in this show. Yeah, no, I and I can I can see that too, and I think it's what Marisha's saying. There's a big gap. They could have gone another direction with it that I wouldn't believe. I absolutely know they could have. The direction they went with it, I find believable. I'm good with it. I like the characters. I like the new characters. I particularly liked the uh, the captain. Um, I cannot think oh, of Yeah, he thing. was great. Rios. Rios, yeah. I loved Rios. He deserves a dead actually, gum Emmy. No, he, deserved, he deserves versions. an award for all the different personalities. He, he was really good. And the actor's really good. I love the character. Actually, Rios, and I do. You mentioned all the different characters. I love the idea that all the holograms are yeah. a different form. It's a, it's a psychological psychological evaluation of that character. They are all different parts of his own broken personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. <clears throat> and he hates them. <laughs> and, he, and he hates them, but he programmed them <laughs> the way he did for a reason. Yeah. Even so, you know, the implication there is, is that subconsciously he programmed them the way he did for a reason. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that. And before we got, before episode eight or eight and nine, when we really kind of got more of his background, I wanted a Rio spinoff. I was all on board with that. I want to know what happened to this guy while he was in Starfleet. Well, now yeah. we know. So right. we don't need any more. And he'll be in season two of Picard. And that's great. Uh, but yes, he's my he's my favorite new character. Yeah, I would have no. loved, like I said, I would have loved a spinoff of him. But we kind of got his background in episodes, you know, eight and nine. So, but anyway, yeah, no, it was great having him. It was great having uh, uh, Brent Spiner in, in the <clears throat> you know in in the last couple episodes, and some of the other new characters may have needed a little more fleshing out. But they, uh, it's Picard's story. You know, you weren't going to fully flesh out all the, all the extra characters. I, I felt like they added the, um, oh, what's his name? The, the young Romulan that he picks up. Oh yeah. 
I do. I like that character. I like Eleanor. The, El- Eleanor. I liked the character. I just, it's like, I almost felt like they wasted him a little bit as we went. I mean, we got to see some cool moments with him and especially re- in relation to uh, Seven of Nine and the the XB's plight where, mm-hmm. you know, he, he kind of moves on. He's, he's helping Picard and he finds a... Even more hopeless cause. Yeah. And so I think right. we got but, some but good... Picard st- even tells him they need you more than I do. Right. Mm-hmm. So I liked the character. I just... I just almost felt like, in some ways, he was inconsequential to the story. I kept calling him Legolas. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> Legolas. He's just like Legolas with dark hair. No, but it, it's a lot of good new characters. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of iffy on Raffi. That one just... Uh, and I hated Agnes for a long time, but she had a... Her character, the evolution of that character really surprised me. I was really glad, too, because I really like Allison Pill. Mm-hmm. And you know, you didn't want her to just be the worst, right? Yeah, it was like you, you had this actress that I really like in there. It was like kind of broker, right? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah it was um, like, please don't just like do something terrible with this character. But I think they pulled it back towards the end. I, she had did. a she had they, a really they, great. She had one of the better character arcs. She did of anybody in yeah. in the series in in the season. Uh, she did, but that's that's what I'm saying though is I didn't really get hooked to this show till about episode seven. Like it really did take me that long. Seven of yeah. ten, right? Uh, ten episodes. Yeah. yeah, it's a little too long. Yeah, that's that's too long, but it's one of those things like by the end you're going, Okay, it took me a while to get into it, but now I see the value in the earlier episodes. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean they didn't I mean, Jesus Christ, seven episodes? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not... A lifelong Star Trek fan? I'm not in any way advocating for that to be the way you have to get attached to a show. But hopefully going forward, hopefully when we get to season two, it's something that just picks up with the momentum that it built and doesn't look back. that's what I'm hoping for. But what concerns you is... The end of the story. How many viewers or potential viewers did they lose... Somewhere in the first six episodes. Yeah. If I didn't have such a love for Picard personally, if I weren't such a big Star Trek fan, and if we weren't doing this show, I wouldn't have finished this series. Right. Yeah. Like I said, overall, I liked it. And I really liked the last four episodes. The first six episodes, the first three episodes especially, I can kind of do about. Episode four and five or so. Ugh. Six got a little better. Seven, eight, and nine. No, he was great in them, but I, you're you're right. Like, I mean, I got so pumped when the uh, when the Starfleet ship started arriving, and it was, mm-hmm. it, it you know, it would have been okay, but when it showed up with him him at the helm, mm-hmm. it was like being so right. Riker. Yeah, I mean, like we had seen him be, exactly. you know, Riker esque. You know, kind of back on the planet, but like he shows up, it's like, oh, this is who we remember. I mean, the only thing he didn't do was sit in his uh, captain seat backwards, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> throw his leg over. Yeah, too. <laughs> uh, he's got so much swagger. I would, I really would have enjoyed a Captain Riker series. Yeah, it was always a shame we never got that. But anyway, it is what it is, and I am now looking forward to season two. Like I said, seven, eight, nine, and ten, I'm good with like those episodes that's when the show hooked me oh uh, so now i'm excited for season two I, I just 
I think they missed an opportunity to really hook some new viewers with the, you know, the first six episodes. Overall, though, I think a good addition to Star Trek so, canon. So let me ask and, you this real quick before we, uh, before we move on. Uh, it might seem like an inconsequential thing to someone who's not a big Star Trek fan or someone's not at all, but what did you think about the theme song? I like the theme. It's still Star Trek. And uh, Jesse was in the man cave the other day. We were playing video games, and she was actually humming it. Okay. I, so I, I got to where I liked so it better, and I liked it a lot better once I discovered, once I found out that it was actually from... I don't remember which episode, but it's from a tune that Picard was playing on, flute. on his flute mm-hmm. in one of the TNG episodes. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to it, it's still the Star Trek theme. It's just more instrumental. Yeah, but that, that, that other instrumental part is what they took from that piece he was playing on the flute. Right, yeah, yeah. It's so, pretty. It's really pretty. Yeah, no, it I, is pretty. It's a little just, reflective. It is. It's not as big as some of the other things. But it's I mean, not... I, I consider Voyager... To have the best Star Trek theme? Yes. Voyager is the best opening sequence Yeah, for any Star Trek series. It, 100%. Picard's is the worst. No. It no. Is. Enterprise is the worst. I don't remember. That theme the sucked. <laughs> for what the show... No, no, wait a minute. Are you going to tell I'm me? Just, he likes I'm not just talking about the theme song either, though. I'm not just the, that that theme song is not very Star Trek. It's it's the theme song that's the most out of place. Okay, I will grant you that. As far as just opening sequences, period, with the visuals and everything attached, Voyagers is the best. Picard's is the worst. Enterprise, no, you're wrong. The actual. <laughs> Well, Marisha, I'm just going to tell you, you're entitled to your own opinion. (laughs) So anyway, Enterprises, for what that show was, is the beginnings of Starfleet. This is Earth's first venture into interstellar travel. And the visuals to that opening take us through the whole journey of how we got there as as human beings. I'm not crazy about the theme song. I do, though, like the opening sequence. I think it fits what the show is. Maybe, but I don't like the show much either. So I did try. I really tried to like Enterprise, but I just couldn't. I, this isn't really going to be, we weren't going to get an Enterprise today. My only problem with Enterprise is when I go back and rewatch Enterprise now, I actually skipped the Temporal War episodes. Yeah. And that was the grand running plot line through the whole series. Mm -hmm. And I hate it. Yep. I hate that with a passion. Now, traditional Star Trek episodes, them going out there and exploring and finding new planets, and even the Vulcan-centric episodes, I like. I find Enterprise a lot more preachy. Yeah, and I skip everything involving the Temporal War. I cannot stand those episodes. I hate that plot line. I don't know why they felt they needed a grand overarching plot anyway. Star Trek had never really done that. 
uh, Voyager. I mean, Voyager is trying to get home. There's your plot line. Now right. let's see what happens to them on their journey home. That right. was it. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, we're not getting enterprise. We could talk about enterprise freaking forever for the things they did good and the things that did wrong. Um, because we need to talk about Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. It's true, we do. Because yeah. I watched it last week and wanted to talk about it because I was excited, but somebody <laughs> didn't do his homework. You know what? I do my best, <laughs> and I don't. I don't need. I don't need your uh, your your inappropriate word, Marisha. Okay. You don't need somebody else to rag on I you. You've got enough from, of that in your I life. I get enough of it from Daniel. So, but I did watch it this week. So what did you think? I going into this, I didn't realize this was going to be the last original series movie. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I realized, oh man, this is it, isn't it? And it was actually like genuinely sad um, to see that end like that. But on a happy note, I, I loved. I, I I love the movie. I, I it's probably one of my favorite ones um, that that we've watched. Especially, yeah. you know, I, I like it going back to like Star Trek, especially after these these last two pretty out there movies with space yeah. whales and space gods, and now we're just. Yeah, you know, good old fashioned Star Trek politics and right. Um, I love the social commentary. Uh, I don't. I mean, maybe it was a little too on the nose. Um, the whole, you know, the prejudice against the, the the Klingons and everything, a little too on the nose. But I, I think, I think it was fine. It wasn't as bad as we really need to save these whales. <laughs> so. I can accept it. Yeah. And I, I did like the message. I loved everything with them going into the prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, the escape. Uh, I I really liked the mystery, you know, like who I'm searching the ship, who killed, who killed the, uh, the chancellor. And right. I, I, I really liked it a lot. I really enjoyed it. It felt, it, it felt very much. It felt very Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, after these last two really weird ones. And I think a really great send off for these characters making leading into peace with the Klingons, mm-hmm. which from my understanding, that's been like, that's been the main villain of the entire, the entire thing where mm-hmm. these Klingons or the Klingons. And mm-hmm. now they spend this whole movie working towards peace with the humans. And also captain Kirk probably figuring out one of his like few flaws uh, is his just blind hate to the Klingons and resolving that, mm-hmm. and them ending with that great line where Spock goes, "I believe the human term is go to hell." Like I love that. <laughs> I oh, think it was great. Spock has some incredible lines in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite though, the one that it makes me die laughing every time I hear it is the old Vulcan proverb <laughs> that only Nixon could go to China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that is a good line. That one kills me. Now, of course, this has one of my favorite my my favorite ending to any Star Trek movie ever, which of course is the you know the the directions to Neverland ending. Mm-hmm. 
yep. which has always been one of my favorites. But yeah, I, I just like, I die, I roll every time I hear the, the old Vulcan proverb. <laughs> Hilarious. These movies are so funny. Mm-hmm. So funny. And it's good. There's a lot of really great jokes, and Spock is so funny. And um, I, I just, I love all of his lines and, and lots of great moments. And yeah, that was, I remember like, specifically watching this one thing like this is one of the funnier ones and they've all been pretty funny I, I, bones is always hilarious oh, oh yeah he, old persnickety bones <laughs> i feel like this one like kind of made up for like sticking with the last two movies that were you know less good yeah i uh, agree still not bad movies i'll mm-hmm. watch either one of those anytime yeah. i mean yeah but definitely not up to bar with you know that neither one of them were in any risk no. of competing with wrath of khan no they're they're both they're they're the two weaker movies in the series and the start and the undiscovered country i think is you know one of the one of the stronger ones yeah mm-hmm. well this is the same director as khan right yes okay right yeah and you know if i had to rank them off the top of my head i'd probably put khan then star trek the motion picture just out of i saw that one first of course and i just loved mm-hmm. it then probably this one then probably the search for spock actually you know what i put space whales above search for spock <laughs> and then search for spock and then probably the and then probably the last one the, yeah. the, the one we watched before this um yeah. all good movies though yeah really enjoy- i'd watch all of them again probably yeah oh yeah, yeah. and this one was this was the first one that I read the uh, adaptation, the book, before I actually saw the movie. Did see the movie in theaters, but the adaptation like came out right around the same time, and it took me just a couple of days to read the adaptation. So I read that, then went straight and saw the movie, and I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> they left that out. They left Uh-oh. that out. They left that out. So... It was really actually upon second, third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and seventh, and how many times I've seen it since then that I really and that I appreciate the movie better. You know, anytime yeah. you read a book first, you spend too much time sitting there going, "Yep, they should have included that." Mm-hmm. But um, they did a really good job of this movie was 1991, so David, of course, you know. Nine, ten years before you were born. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I only Andrew like. You can kind five. of remember. I know Marisha knows enough about it to understand the parallels of our real world at the time. Um, we're not too far after the end of the Cold War. Right. And the Klingons throughout the course of the original series were their analogs for the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. Um, and they even mention it being sort of a cold war with the Klingons that now we need to end. They can no longer afford it. Right. They're falling apart. Well, it's the same thing was happening in the Soviet Union at the time. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the parallel to that always struck me. And it's the idea that, you know, our enemies can become our allies. There's no reason to have to hold on to the animosity that we've, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm had for so long that's really interesting because i i made that connection of course like okay obviously this is about 
the Soviets and the Cold War and everything and that coming to an end. But when I look at it from today's point of view, and just mm-hmm. kind of what I was seeing, this is actually what first came to mind when watching this. I saw it a lot as, and it's not a, as many parallels at all, but what came to mind with me watching this was if Kirk can learn to forgive the Klingons and stop hating them, right? then you could like not be racist. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think that's the it. point. That's that's what makes it so timeless is when you look at it from like obviously today watching it, it doesn't there's no message to be heard about like, oh, the communist and the Soviet Union and everything like that, right? right? Like, no, that but there is a there is an underlying theme that works for both of those analogies. Mm-hmm. There's an underlying theme of let's focus more on what makes us the same instead of what makes us different. Right. right, and and there's a theme of like, yeah, right. The, let's focus on what makes us the same. Um, not every the the Klingons that killed your son are not the Klingons you're sitting in front of right now. Yeah, correct. Um, and they, some of them at least, want to work to peace just like you do. They don't want to see their people die. You know, they don't want that. And and you're right, like. You're 100% right. Let's focus more on the similarities rather than the animosity. And they're not all, you're not always going to get along perfectly, but that's okay that there's differences because there's also enough similarities between the, these two groups that, that you can learn to just stop shooting at each other and just, right. and just let the animosity go and understand that there were rights and wrongs on both sides. Right. And it's, it's about understanding your own flaws as well. Um, near the end, whenever Jim talks about like how he didn't even realize how prejudiced he was, it took the chancellor being murdered to realize how prejudiced he was and, and how flawed he was in that way of thinking. Yeah. And I just, I, that, that really resonated. I mean, like we've always, we, we've said it every time we've reviewed a movie, these, these films are so timeless yep. because these things are always going to matter. Um, yep. do, we've talked about it before, how they, during the cold war, they had a Russian character as a main right. character. Mm-hmm. And in the, a, in the show. Uh, and not to mention the Japanese character, not that right, long after Japanese world war II. Right. Who right. in this movie becomes a captain of his own ship. Yeah. Who was great. I thought it was really cool. Sulu was great. Um, Captain Sulu was Sulu. great in this movie. Yeah, yeah. and I love that. I, I've I one of the things I just adore about this movie, and, and you know, I'm not like a super political person, right? I don't focus on that, I don't care about that, but it's done so well in these movies that mm-hmm. it stands out is the the seamless diversity in all of the characters and mm-hmm. the and the close to equal amount of screen time they're all getting. They're just these well developed characters on their own and it, and it works so well for all the themes that they're trying to relay. It, it was so ahead of its time. Gene Roddenberry, that's who, that's who made it right. Yes. Invented mm-hmm. Star Trek. Yeah. Andrew said it before. He was one, just a pure visionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a genius. And the, if he had really been able to do what he wanted to do, it would have been even more. The original pilot to that show had a, a uh, female first officer and actually it was Majel Barrett who ends up playing oh, 
Nurse Chapel in the original series. Uh-huh. And it was Jean Roddenberry's wife, actually, but she was Nurse Chapel in the original series. She was Deanna Troy's mother in the next generation and was the voice of the computer in the next generation. Mm-hmm. And in the pilot, she was originally cast as the first officer of the ship. Huh. Very early on, very early on, Captain Pike gets captured. Right. And she is put in a position of command of the ship. And one of the conditions that was given by the studio, or one of the conditions that was given to Gene Roddenberry to be able to put this show into production was they did not want a woman in that high a leadership role. Wow. So to even get the show made, he had to make some of these concessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did get Lieutenant Uhura. Right. Uh, so Lieutenant Uhura, they offered Nichelle Nichols this role. She almost didn't accept it. And she got a phone call from Dr. Martin Luther King. Wow. I did not know that. Talked, and tossed her into accepting this role mm-hmm. that they needed black people in this country at that time to see a strong black female character on screen everywhere and what she could do mm-hmm. right and what she could do for that movement and he talked her into accepting the role which of course famously led to our first interracial kiss um, you know, they still made Michelle Nichols wear the short skirt, and I'll sound a little bit sexist and tell you it was a good idea. The woman's got great legs. <laughs> it was the so, 60s. You know, All the women are wearing short skirts. <laughs> no, but it is, and I say that jokingly, and I say it also to illustrate how far we were trying to advance, but how much it still was part of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, Roddenberry pushed the envelope as much as he could, but there's still only so much. And so often in that show, now we're going from talking about Star Trek, Undiscovered Country, to talking about the original series as a whole, because we mm-hmm. are. And I thought we would do that anyway, because we're moving out of the original series era of films, and we haven't talked much about the original series itself. Yeah. So it you still see... You still see so many times in the original series the female characters basically playing the damsel in distress. Right, yeah. Or Kirk or Kirk easy easily manipulating them sexually. Or and and it's true, it happens. We're gonna it's we're gonna call it what it is. You're not gonna sugarcoat it. But at the same time was still very progressive, but was still very much a product of the sixties. Right. As it went on, it got better. Because there's more you're going to be able to get away with. And there's more mindset you're going to be able to push. And it was a process. So I always thought there were some interesting dynamics to the original series. Mm-hmm. And I, David, now that you've watched the movies, I do need you to watch Next Generation to get some good groundwork for the movies. Just in your free time, you will do yourself a benefit to go back and watch some original series episodes. And discover and just that, kind of yeah. yeah, and just kind of notice some of the dichotomies I'm talking about. Um, I would love to, but that's one thing I loved about these movies is that if you haven't watched the original series, jump in and watch these six movies in a row, and they still work. 
they still yeah exactly exactly they still work they still have a a story that you can follow that you can watch they have they have character arcs you can follow that are super enjoyable and i just i have fallen in love with these characters and it is genuinely sad whenever i got to the end and i realized this is the last one because it just i didn't realize it and i realized this is the last one i i got genuinely sad because i because i've fallen in love with these characters completely and i want to see more of them but now i'm excited because there's all these episodes of the original series there's more where that came from plenty plenty more right yeah exactly and I would love more films, but it was a great ending yeah. to the to this series of movies. It really sure. was. So I'm gonna do I wanna do one more thing. David ranked his movies, the motion picture through episode six, the original series, generation of movies. Uh, and Marisha, do you have any kind of have some kind of list in mind? I should have told you we were gonna do this. Do You'd I have, have something prepared. Okay. But- um, honestly, I think my list is probably going to be pretty similar to his. I mean, I think Wrath of Khan has to win just a conversation about Star Trek movies. And I think this mm-hmm. one may be my favorite, my second after Wrath of Khan. Um, and then probably the motion picture. And then let's see, Search for Spock, maybe? I don't know. Search for Spock and the Space Whales are, are probably right up there in the similar kind of weird mm-hmm. yeah. um, thing for me. But I think I think Search for Spock might win because I like the Vulcan lore. I think the Vulcan lore is interesting. Um, and anything Spock-centric is always going to win in my book. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have Journey Home and the Attendant Whales. And then I think mm-hmm. probably, oh, geez, I've totally lost it. Final Frontier is the only one. Final Frontier, yeah. Gonna hit there at the bottom of the list, so. Right. The thing about Final Frontier is I would rewatch it, but I would only rewatch a couple of scenes in it. I I would skip around a lot. While I feel like the other five, I would genuinely sit down and watch the entire all the thing way through yeah from start to finish well i just don't i would watch all the camping scenes and and um the final frontier and wait no 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 uh wait is it the final Frontier? yeah the final frontier that's the mm-hmm. yeah final frontier i'd watch all the camping scenes <laughs> and i that's it and honestly though if i had to pick one that i would like even though Wrath of Khan is easily like the best one, not easily, but it's, it's the best one. If I had to pick one to rewatch right now, it would probably either be The Undiscovered Country or The Voyage Home. I think The Voyage Home is probably the most fun Insane. one. They are to me, they are the two most rewatchable. The motion picture has that sort of magic to it that I would love to to watch again, but. Uh, it is actually the most Star Trek, Star Trek. Film. It is. You're right. But I feel like, okay, if I put that on, I feel like I'd kind of put that on in the background and do some work or something. But mm-hmm. if I put on The Voyage Home or The Undiscovered Country, I, I'm, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. I agree. I have the exact same feeling. They're the two most rewatchable. And for different reasons entirely. Mm-hmm. The Voyage Home is just so funny. All right. So anyway... So next week, we're going to be 
be continue our X Files review, and we will let David kind of give us an idea of his viewing of the Next Generation. I'm going to give him a, a watch list for that. Cool. So yeah, send us the list too. Yeah, we'll definitely continue our Star Trek thoughts. Still a lot of Star Trek to go through. There are seven more films for you to watch, David. I'm, I'm excited. I'm more. actually. I'm not even like upset about that. Um, there are seven more films and fifty years worth of television for you to yeah. watch. And and I'm the more I see of it, the more I'm excited. Just y'all talking about Enterprise. I'm like, man, I gotta check out Enterprise just to see what it's like. I gotta check out. Yeah, just Voyager. just skip every just skip just skip everything. It, all right, so every time they mention the word temporal Cold War, <laughs> that episode. I'm not gonna right. I will, but I'm not gonna get into that right now. You know, I got the more pressing matters. But the more yeah. and more I see of Star Trek, the more I want to watch Star Trek. Uh, I'm I'm excited that there are seven movies left to talk about. Uh, I really, really am. Are there? Are there? Are, so they're all next generation centric movies. They don't um, have like there are. There are five with the Next Generation cast, and I'm sorry, there are four with the Next Generation cast, and then there are three of the Kelvin Timeline movies. Oh, that's right. All right, Kelvin Timeline. Okay, gotcha. Right. So you have Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. Okay. Are the And I'm really interested to get your take on Nemesis, but that's still going to be, what, four or five more weeks away. Um, yeah. and then you begin the Kelvin timeline. Gotcha. Very excited. Right. So, but that's going to do it for us tonight. So, uh, until next time, Marisha, where can people uh, find Marisha, you? Marisha actually had to step out. So, okay. Well, Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? Okay. People can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Cy underscore Fictionary. You can find me hosting our other show at Coruscant Radio Underground. And you can drop us a line at thesciencefictionary at gmail.com or you can find us at thesciencefictionary.com. And David? You guys can find me on Twitter at stay underscore creative DD. Or you guys can go check out my YouTube channel, Creative D&D. And my Instagram is also stay underscore creative DD. Uh, is Marisha back yet? She's probably not coming back. Okay. Well, Andrew, you want to tell people where they can find Marisha? Um, yeah, you can find Marisha at, on Twitter at P Padawans, or you can find her at Princesses and Padawans on Instagram. All right. And I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>